Welcome to episode one of the Hurts Like a Mother podcast, where we celebrate the joys and pains of motherhood to share the message that we aren't alone in this journey. I am Megan Hansen, mom to six-year-old triplets, registered nurse, and certified integrative health coach. Today's episode is actually titled, God, what is your return policy on children? Let me preface this episode with the customary statement of, I love my children. Yes, sometimes I love being a mom. Sometimes I do not. But also, motherhood is completely different than what I ever thought it would be or what I expected it to be. I'm going to shout out a trigger warning real quick. I am going to be talking about some of my experiences with infertility. So if you are struggling with that right now, this might not be the best episode for you. Or if you are in a good headspace, or that's something you've experienced in the past, come along with me. So in order to kind of dive into my current relationship with my role as a mom, it makes sense to kind of go back a little bit to my journey with infertility. A little known fact about me, trivia warning about Megan, um, I was an egg donor. When I was in my early 20s, newly married, I believe I was in my section of my master's program where I was working on my master's thesis in case management for my MSN. And I was working on my thesis for the case management for the treatment of infertility, and I decided to be an egg donor. So I believe there are a couple children hanging around Sacramento with the same genetic material as yours truly. So shout out to the littles out there that might look like me. (laughs) But during the process, they discovered that I might have some markers for PCOS based on the ultrasound scans and things like that. But I didn't have any other issues at the time related to PCOS. So they didn't diagnose me at the time, but I kind of tucked that information in the back of my mind in case I needed it. Fast forward a few years later when it was actually time for my husband and I to conceive, we had a difficult time. So we ended up trying for several months. I did get pregnant around six months of trying And we ended up losing that baby around seven weeks gestation. That process was completely heartbreaking to say the least. If you've lost a child in any capacity, it's, it shakes your world. Uh, Completely, you know, broke us down in some ways, but I was still super hopeful that if I was able to get pregnant once, I was able to carry a pregnancy to term. That was my mindset. So even though through this process or throughout this whole process, I knew something was not right. So I was monitoring my cycles. I would have really long cycles. I was charting my ovulation. I was doing daily temperature checks. I was checking my cervical mucus, timing my intercourse, all of the OCD things that you were going to do to try to get knocked up. I was doing it. I was looking at my diet. I tried the low carb diet to lose a little bit of weight. I was not overweight whatsoever, but I was going to try anything, cut off the carbs, get pregnant. Um, It was, it was a whole thing. I was very wrapped up into it. And I have the type of personality where you have a goal and you achieve it. You go 140% towards that goal and there's no looking back. That was me trying to get pregnant. We ended up having, I say we, like, like my husband was with child these whole times. 
I ended up having two more chemical pregnancies, which is super early pregnancy losses. Basically you pee on the stick, it's positive, and then you get your period. So those were devastating in their own forms as well. But again, I knew I could get pregnant. The challenge was maintaining a pregnancy and carrying a pregnancy full term. I ended up seeking help of a reproductive endocrinologist locally in my area. And we started the testing and medication process, which if you've ever gone through infertility treatments, you know, that could be a shit show in and of itself. We started taking, I say we again, why am I saying we? Because we are a team, my husband and I, we are a team. No. So I started taking Clomid for a couple of rounds. I tried Femera, which is a similar drug to take to get your cycles regulated. Femera was not working by itself. So we tried cycles with Femera, which is an oral medication. I did, I combined that with injectable medications to basically hyperstimulate my ovaries to produce follicles. Because my issue was I would not ovulate until super late in the cycle. And then it was essentially an old egg by the time the ovulation piece came around. So an old egg is not a good egg. So we did the Femera, oral medications, injectables, and then we tried our third IUI with all of those. And on the third IUI, this follicle's motherfucking stuck, apparently. <laughs> so let's take a gander into the exam room for my six-week post-IUI ultrasound check, shall we? So... At this point, I was peeing on a stick. It was positive. I wasn't feeling very good. So at five, actually, it was closer to five weeks. At five weeks, I was feeling nauseous, was not feeling too hot. I was tired. I was feeling the things, the pregnancy things, right? And I was excited because I'd never felt these things before. And this meant something, right? Like this, this was good that you would feel the things. So they stick the wand in your vagina. They do the um, intravaginal ultrasound. And, you know, up pops an embryonic sac, which I'm super juiced about. I was like, yeah, there's my baby in there. Sweet. And, you know, doctor's kind of moving it around a little bit. And all of a sudden there's a second sac. Like, cool. Two? I can handle two. Like people have twins all the time, right? Awesome. Sweet. So, and then my doctor pauses and she says, oh, Megan. And I looked at her and I said, oh, what? She goes, there's a third. And my brain shut down at this point. It, my world went black. I think I remember saying a third what? Like, I didn't know what she meant. I was like playing ignorant, I think. And she said, there's a, she said, I'm sorry. First of all, if your doctor says, I'm sorry, let's have a, let's have a moment for this. If your doctor says, I'm sorry, that's when you start to worry a little bit. You start to worry about what's happening. <laughs> so sure as shit. I'm sorry. There's a third baby. So what do you, what do you do? What do you, where, where does your mind go at what this point when somebody says there's a third baby inside of your, inside of your uterus? So my husband swears that I, I said, fuck. I don't remember cursing, but again, I said my world went black. I remember walking out of that exam room 
completely shell-shocked. I was trying to not make eye contact with any of the women in the waiting room because I felt like I had a secret. I had a secret that I had, I was successfully able to get pregnant because that's what you go to this office for, right? You go to this office to get pregnant and to sustain a pregnancy. You've tried all the things. I wanted to shout at the rooftop, like I'm pregnant five weeks, five weeks, you know, cause you're supposed to kind of keep it secret just in case something bad happens, right? Like you don't want to tell, you don't want to tell the world that you're pregnant because what happens if it doesn't go as planned. So I walked out of that exam room, completely elated, shell-shocked, losing my mind. And we get into the car and my husband looks at me and he says, we have to get that fucking minivan you've always wanted, don't we? (laughs) I love him so much. He is always there for comic relief when I need him. So let me just tell you about growing three tiny humans inside your body. So you are in complete charge of their care, obviously, if you're pregnant with one, but to have the pressure of growing three tiny humans inside of you, it's kind of a lot. So like I said, I take on tasks at 140% my power and growing through humans was, was just like that. So I immediately went to work researching what I need to put in my body to grow three tiny humans, how much protein I need to be consuming. I immediately, you know, went to the store and about all the Greek fucking yogurt I could put in my mouth. And I went to work to grow some humans. And I feel like this could be a whole nother podcast, but I ended up um, at 17 weeks having preterm labor, was taken off work. I was on modified bed rest, or I should say couch rest, up until I delivered at 33 weeks and two days. Um, I ended up getting preeclampsia. If you are familiar with that, it's a essentially a blood pressure condition that, um, because mine was um, advancing in severity and I was remote from delivery. We did a C-section at 33 and two and my babies were in the NICU for about five weeks. Um, yeah, that could be a, a whole nother podcast too, just talking about the NICU experience. But, um, I immediately struggled with feeling inadequate. You know, I was elated that I was able to care my babies past 33 weeks for triplets. That's really great. They were all, above three pounds, which is really great. They were actually closer to four pounds. I believe Mikey was four to Chris and Katie were about three, 10 and three, 12. So in that way, I felt like success. Like, yes, my humans are safe. They're on the other side. We're good. You know, they didn't have any immediate life-threatening complications. They had kind of the usual preemie things of like needing bubble CPAP for a day or two, jaundice, all of those kind of things that are fairly normal for preterm babies. Um, My main issue came with the breastfeeding. And what mom hasn't struggled with a little bit of breastfeeding? Um, I mean, if you're super lucky enough to just latch that baby on and the baby has a wonderful latch and goes to town and gains weight and transfers milk efficiently and all of that wonderful stuff, like clap, I'm clapping for you because that's amazing. You know, a lot of us, struggle with the breastfeeding. It's hard. We don't always realize it's so freaking hard. And I mean, I'm, I came out of being a labor and delivery nurse, a maternal newborn nurse, postpartum nurse. I know the breastfeeding stuff. I know how to get your milk supply going. I was on the struggle bus though. Let me tell you, um, having PCOS, 
having a C-section, a preterm C-section and preeclampsia, my hormones were jacked AF y'all. I was not making milk. I was doing all the things. I was doing the hand expression, the around the clock pumping. I was looking at pictures of my babies while I was pumping. I was putting them to the breast. Um, I was using the shield because they were so small. I was doing the supplements. I was doing the oatmeal lactation cookies. I was eating all the things. I was drinking all the water. My milk would not fucking come in and it was killing me. I even got, you know, I was on like the Reglan. I got the supplement. I forgot the name of the supplement from Canada, which isn't FDA approved in the United States, but I was trying every gosh darn thing I could do to get my baby some milk. And you know what? Maybe I was trying too hard. <laughs> you know, maybe I was trying too hard. I don't know, but my milk would not come in. And there's something to be said about a mom who's trying so hard but is not getting the result, right? Like, and I feel like that could be extrapolated to many a mothering situation, but not being able to have milk, especially for three babies, I started to feel like almost like I wasn't really their mom. It's, it's kind of like this weird three degrees of separation situation because my, my babies were in the NICU. So I was going in between I was going between visiting them in the NICU and going home to sleep. I would be pumping at home, pumping in the NICU. So there was a level of separation that I think I had, I still, you know, it took me a few years to work through all of this, but between the assembly line of when we did finally bring the babies home, the assembly line of feeding, diapering, the nonstop, every two to three hour rotation of, of all of these things that you had to do to keep these preemie babies alive. There was no time for snuggles. There's no time for quiet moments because there was another baby that was waiting their turn. So it was a very fast and furious time in my life. And honestly, I tell people I blacked out that time of my life because there was just so much going on. And I started noticing as the babies were getting older, I went back to work. I kind of had this like feeling of, hopelessness and like a heavy weighted feeling that I couldn't quite put a finger on. And I would, you know, see a pregnant woman and feel like this, like punch to the stomach kind of, if I would see someone who's like a full-term pregnant woman walking around in all her glory with her beautiful belly or, you know, a coworker announcing she's pregnant or a coworker hosting a baby shower I would feel this like punch to the stomach and I wouldn't really know what the F that feeling was working through it. I was realizing I was feeling grief and I had to figure out like why I felt this way. And I think just taking some quiet moments and reflection and taking time to work on me, I've discovered I was feeling grief for like the loss of that singleton pregnancy. And I know a lot of my moms of multiples friends have felt this before. And, you know, looking at um, like the Facebook groups and the mom, the online mom forums with moms of multiples, like this is a pretty common theme to where you feel the grief that you didn't get to have that single pregnancy. You didn't have, you didn't get to do all the things that if you're only pregnant with one baby that you get to do, especially me being on bed rest and only being able to leave the house for doctor's appointments or only being able to 
get up to go to the fridge, get a snack or get up to go pee. I, when my babies were born, I did not get to do skin to skin right away. My babies were immediately taken out of my belly, brought over to the warmer next to me and taken out of the room because they needed to be on, you know, the bubbles breathing treatment. Um, I didn't get that early breastfeeding experience. I struggled with breastfeeding. Um, I didn't get to go on that cute stroller ride with that one cute baby that you just like casually stroll around your neighborhood in the sunshine. I had three newborns that, I mean, think of trying to coordinate that. I didn't leave my house for a little while um, because just this sheer idea of getting three premature babies into a stroller, like, but I do remember the one day that I did do it, it was invigorating and freeing. And from that moment on, I took those babies out every single day because the sunshine changes your life, man, I'll tell you. But fast forward a few years, like, man, raising not only children is hard, raising triplets is hard, man. Like as a parent, there's so much information out there on the internet and what you should do, what you shouldn't do. And are you a good mom? If you do X, Y, and Z, you know, what do the experts say? What does the research say about, should you spank your children? Like there is no right answer, right? I, that I'm the type of person that I want to know the right answer. And just discovering that there is no right answer is really hard. But, you know, I think of, I have so many stories of just like me pulling my hair out, (laughs) which is kind of why I made this podcast to share my stories. But I think of like my kids when they were at the age that they were crawling out of their cribs. So of course I hopped on Google and was like, how do you deal? Right. Have we, have, have you guys done this before you Google what to do when your children crawl out of their crib? and you hit enter and you read all the responses and you read like Susan from Alabama and what she tried with her kids. And you're like, Oh shit, I got to do what Susan's doing. Susan seems to have her shit straight. So you try what Susan's doing, which is what, you know, I put the mattresses on the floor and then for like a week straight, we had just like a week straight of just shitty bedtimes, man, kids crawling all over each other. They normally were probably asleep by like seven, but these kids were staying up to like nine or 10 at night because they had nowhere to go except crawling all over each other, crawling over the floor. There was like party time city until 10 PM, which for me, someone who appreciates their downtime at night, I was fucking losing my ever loving mind, you know? So that was not working. We put, we ended up putting them putting the cribs back together and trying to like regroup and figure out what else we should try. Um, you know, the, the tent, or I'm sorry, the crib tents were like outlawed, I guess, because something bad happened, but I was about to go buy some crib tents and just tent those fuckers in the, in the cribs. But, you know, while we were trying to figure out what to do, um, you know, Katie decided to discover that she could smear her poop. Of course, like poop discovery, right? Everybody goes through that, right? Or is that just Katie? I don't know. One day I heard a lot of crying upstairs and I go in and Katie had ripped her diaper off sitting in her crib and she had grabbed her poop like a little baby monkey and smeared it all over her crib rails from top to bottom, up and down. The room smelled like shit. I don't even know how to describe it besides that. It was just a shitty, shitty day. So... I look over at Mikey and Mikey has his diaper off and I'm like, why are you crying, Mikey? And he had decided that it was a good idea 
to eat his own poop. And that's why he was crying. And Chris was crying in the crib next door because Mikey was crying. So it was just a shit show after shit show. And honestly, those are the days that make me want to pull my hair out a little bit. (laughs) But they're also the days that are memorable in my brain. And these are the experiences I get to share with you guys. And it's, it's these kind of days that I say, like, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to parent some days? And, and the only piece that I've gotten is knowing that there's a reason for the struggle. I might not know what the exact reason is, but there's a plan for me. And I think that plan involves me sharing my story with all of you. So I appreciate you being here and being part of, of that story and that sharing experience. And I hope that when you have a tough time, you take a moment to think about the hidden lesson, the story you can share after you rise up. Um, because it's going to be hard sometimes when you are in it, when you are in deep, literally into some deep shit, so to speak. It's hard to sometimes see the bigger picture and what's ahead of you. But I find a lot of peace in knowing that I might not know all the answers right now, but if I just keep at it and don't give up, there will be a payoff. There will be a story to share and there will be a lesson to be had, to be had. And that's part of the reason I started this podcast is we all have a story. All those stories, our stories might be different. Every mom is different. Every parenting role is different, but we are all connected by our experiences, our lessons, our thoughts and struggles. So I thank you for listening to my story today. And I can't wait to share more with you every single week. I'd love to connect with you all. I'm primarily a lot on Instagram at best underscore life underscore health 365. I'm going to put that in the show notes. So until next time, friends, be well.